Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 61 of UAB Green and Told, original air date Monday, December 20th, 2021. This podcast gives us the opportunity to share stories from members of the UAB community. Listen back to previous episodes at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold on Spotify or the Apple Podcast app. While there, leave a written review so we can continue to grow and reach more alumni. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and assistant director in the Office of Alumni Affairs. On this episode of UAB Green and Told, we welcome Joy O'Neill to the podcast, founder in 321. On this episode of UAB Green and Told, we welcome Joy O'Neill to the podcast, founder and executive director of The Red Barn, a nonprofit that gives a chance for low-income individuals with disabilities an opportunity to hop on a horse to participate in education and recreational activities. The thing is, Joy didn't really grow up around these majestic animals. In fact, as she'll share, she was petrified of them. My cousin had a horse that I was afraid of and drawn to all at the same time. I, I wanted to go to go be with it, but I was terrified all, all at once. But she had a vision, a vision that came to fruition in a somewhat haphazard sort of way. So like I did plan because I went back to school and you know planned to open, but I really didn't have a, a, a great idea of how it would turn out. Today, as Joy will explain, not only does she give back to the community around her, she gives back to UAB. UAB has been one of the best blessings in my life. Not only did it allow me to finish the dream of being able to go to college. From getting a scholarship to play French horn to studying history, Joy O'Neill has had an interesting journey to get to where she's at now, working with horses. However, horses weren't a part of her childhood. Books were. And for Joy, those books were an escape for a childhood spent growing up bouncing around Birmingham before landing at UAB. You know, we moved a lot when I was growing up. I went to a different school almost every single year. And I guess because I moved so much, it was always hard for me to make friends. So one of the things that I noticed that was the same always in every school I went to is that they had a library and that librarians were always nice. So I really was um, the kid that went to the library all the time and in red. And um, so I didn't play a lot of sports. I didn't do a lot of extracurricular activities because it seemed like we were always kind of missing those signups. Beyond reading, you mentioned you know, not an athlete, you know, didn't have this. Were there other things you were interested in? You know, to me, being able to read books, I guess, was how I found those interests. Um, and that maybe actually... One of the things that even led me to want to major in history was to be able to read. Um, I loved the Little House on the Prairie books when I was growing up. So, you know, the idea of of horses, like you just asked me about, I, even though it's weird now, so much of my life is around horses. I never had grew up with horses or was really around them other than I had a cousin who, who had a horse that um, I was deathly afraid of. You know, in Little House on the Prairie, they talked about horses and I, you know, was fascinated by that. My, my cousin had a horse that I was afraid of and drawn to all at the same time. I, I wanted to go to go be with it, but I was terrified all, all at once. You know, I, I worked a lot in as an aide in a special aid class, you know, as well as being a library assistant. So I, I was really very boring. I, I guess I always liked music. And when I was in junior high, I started playing the, the trumpet and then eventually moved to the French horn and originally attended college on a French horn scholarship. 
No kidding. So something that maybe a lot of people don't know, but yeah. When it came time to start looking at colleges, you obviously moved around Birmingham quite a bit. Was UAB an option at that time? And was it the only option? No, I kind of came to UAB after transferring from the University of Alabama. This sounds like something that may not sound too terribly believable, but here it's the honest truth. I was the first person in my immediate family to go to college. When I was in junior high, I started playing the trumpet and then I moved to the French horn and I decided that I wanted to major in French horn. And so I had scholarships to the University of Alabama, Stanford, Birmingham Southern, University of Montevallo. And UAV really wasn't an option because at the time, at least as far as I knew, they did not have that type of music program where I could have majored in French horn. So I went to the University of Alabama, but being away from home was really hard for my mom. She was single. She had my little sister, my little brother. And so I wanted to move back home and be, be nearby to be able to help her. And so in doing that, though, I lost my full scholarship to college. And my mother was just adamant because I was the first person in our family to have the opportunity to go to college. And she really wanted me to, to continue. And so I was lucky enough to find um, an employer who would pay for our college tuition, employees' college tuition. And so I worked full time and just sort of the default school then was UAB. And of course, I'm not the official UAB historian, but just from my experience back in the, the 80s, UAB was really geared toward um, folks that were working full time that wanted to go to college, you know, in the evenings and on the weekends. And so I just started taking classes. I still had a lot of my core classes to take. And so most of my classes at UAB were kind of that. Um, I still remember the schedule it was 545 to 750 and then 805 to 1010. At night, they also had um, these weekend kind of block classes where you went from eight to 12 or from one to five. And um, I even got to participate in some of the very first sort of virtual classes where professors would record their conversation or record their lectures on VCR tapes. And you would go to the library and check them out. And um, if you didn't rewind before you took the tapes back in, you got like 10 points taken off your grade. And let's see, I took some other sort of innovative classes where oh, they were um, shown on PBS at bizarre hours and times all throughout the night. And so you'd get up like at two o'clock in the morning to, to, watch, uh, to watch a recorded lecture. And then we just went to class a couple of times a, a semester to take the test or to have discussions. So UAB was not my first choice, but I do believe it ended up being my best choice because I don't know that I would have been able to graduate and to kind of fulfill that, that dream that my mom had about being the first one to go to college in our family. Um, had it not been for such an accommodating schedule and and for the ways that they helped new students like myself. Growing up with a single mother, how difficult was that in kind of a, even approaching college and determining, you know, I do want to do this because you're the oldest, you have two younger siblings, so being away could add an additional stress on the mom. It, it did. I mean, it was hard for her. It was hard for me. I mean, I missed my family. Um, my mother never said it was a matter of like, if you go, it was always when you go, because I think she knew that, um, a, you know, an education, especially a college one, would be very useful for the future. 
but to be able to move back and, you know, I had an advisor and several professors, so it was a much smaller classroom size, you know, but it just fit me better. It was, it was by far the best choice, even though it wasn't my first one. When you started the college experience the first time, you mentioned that you were going to major in French horn. That obviously (laughs) transitioned a little bit to history. What was your plan with the history degree? What do you want to do? In my mind, many, many years ago, I always thought that um, I might want to be an attorney. And so history was a good major for that. And it was also, they had a lot of electives and classes offered at times that I could take them. So (laughs) that helped out as well. And um, the English department, for some reason, I I don't know why, they had all these classes that started at they were um, at like 5.30 and 6 o'clock in the morning. And so I could get, I remember pulling into that old humanities building and that looks exactly now like it did uh, 40 years ago. And um, it'd still be dark outside, walking up into that into that building and taking English class after English class, which is why I mattered in English. You go from being a bookworm in high school, somebody that was kind of drawn to books and kind of living out fantasies that way and and connecting. (laughs) Did you continue that in college? Were you a bookworm? Were you kind of a quote unquote nerd? I'm still a bookworm and a nerd. And and now I'm just proud of it. (laughs) I guess before I've always tried to be different. I'm I'm pretty introverted. Um, you know, I love Star Trek. I like, I still like to read. I, I get terrified to have to go um, out in front of a big group of people. Although one of the things I've learned is that um, I'd rather be live speaking in front of a thousand people than on Zoom speaking to 40 different little tiles of people on a computer. That, that's even scarier than being with people live, but yeah. How did Joy kind of change um, from the time she started college? I think probably at my core, I'm I'm still the the same introverted band geek, library, <laughs> book reading person. But um, I think having my children changed you. Like you can't be an introvert when you have children. So being able to care for them, they're the best thing in the whole wide world that that ever happened to me. And um, that I just think having the experience of going out with them and, you know, part of why I started the barn is because I wanted to make it possible for other children and families that did not have that same opportunity that I'd been able to give to my own children to be able to work with horses. I just saw the, the wonderful benefits that it gave to our family and just wanted to make this possible for children that that might not otherwise have the opportunity. And, and I think that there's just probably some sort of natural thing that as you get older, um, you just start thinking about your life and the experiences. And um, there aren't a, a whole lot of great things about getting older, but one of them is that um, you begin to be able to look back and see all the things that happened in your life and realize, oh, because that thing happened and yeah, it was kind of unpleasant at the time, I learned this from it, and now I can use that experience to make the world a little bit better for somebody else or to, to, to make that experience count for something beyond just the pain that it was at the time. And that may sound kind of hokey, but that, that's just how I see it. I'd say that's the biggest way I've changed is I don't mind the bad things anymore because I'm able to see them transformed into something that's good. 
When you graduated UAB, what did you do between the time you graduated and when the Red Barn was founded in 2012? Now, this sounds a little bit like uh, maybe a Lifetime movie or something, but um, I worked at O'Neill Steel, which was when I first moved back to Birmingham. I was able to work there and they had a program where they paid for tuition for employees, no matter what you were going to major in, and which I think is just a, a great benefit. It's a wonderful company. Um, eventually, I ended up um, marrying my boss's son. So I guess that's kind of like the, the Cinderella story come true. As you're working at O'Neill Steel, towards the end of your time there, what went into the mindset of establishing a nonprofit through the Red Barn? I guess it was in 1998 when our kid, when Emmett and I were married in 1996. And then in 1998, we first took the kids for a horseback ride and that, that kind of started it all. And, um, it was really probably five or six years before it even crossed my mind to be able to do it for anybody else or, or to do anything other than just experience horses with our family. My youngest son was about to be 16 and I had had the wonderful opportunity of being able to stay home as, as a full-time mom from the time that Emmett and I were married in 1996 up until 2000 when I started the MPA program, I, just as I was thinking about probably like in the mid 2000s, started thinking, what am I going to do with my time? Because, you know, we, between the two of us, we had five children that lived with us full time. And so, you know, I was constantly driving somebody somewhere, cooking supper, going to games, just it was really a, a full day's work, seven days a week. But as it got down to just those final two at home, thinking about what's going to happen when they're gone, what am I going to do with my time? Um, I took some Bible studies and, you know, talked to different friends. And had, I mean, for years I had done a lot of volunteer work, but there was just always this sort of um, vision that a friend of mine and I had talked about, her name was Miss Cowart. And she and I just always sort of talked about, wouldn't it be great to have a place where horses were available for families that might not otherwise have the opportunity and so I started looking into it a little bit and just kind of more and more and more. And then finally decided that I would go to school at UAB and get a master's in nonprofit administration. So I started that in 2008-ish, maybe. I don't know. Years kind of run together. But um, know that I finished it by about 2011. You finish it in 2011. The Red Barn you named after the adorable little red barn in which it started. Yeah, Um, I'm very boring and very uncreative. Very serendipitous. I didn't even come up with a name. (laughs) (laughs) But you opened it in 2012. And how many horses did you have at that time? How many clients? How many people did you have coming to the barn? We had two horses. Their names were Abby and Glory. And we had one student. Um, So it was... It was, um, you know, as I look back on it, 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 it was just, in some ways, it's amazing to see how it's grown and how it did. And, um, and I'm so glad that it did. On the other hand, I don't recommend anybody do the way that we did because <laughs> it just sort of, it, it, it was planned and yet unplanned all at the same time. So like I did plan because I went back to school and, you know, planned to open but I really didn't have a, a, a great idea of how it would turn out. So we started out with two horses 
and it was um, open just one day a week and wasn't quite sure what to do, had no idea how to go about it, but just knew that God had laid it in my heart and that I wasn't going to have any peace inside of myself until I stepped out and did it. And so I, I have to admit, it wasn't necessarily willingly that I stepped out and did it. It was kind of fighting. Um, I tried every every way I could to say, but I just want to read about this. I just want to stay home. Couldn't. What if I just fund it and somebody else does it? What about this? What about that? I tried to argue my way out of it. And each time the Lord just stepped in and was like, nope, this is yours to do. This is, this is, I mean, almost like that Bible story, you know, this is what I've been preparing you for your whole life. And so it's time for you to take those experiences and, and put them to work. And so that's, that's how we started. And like I said, from two horses and one student, um, not having any clue what I was doing to now we have, um, 21 horses, three goats, a couple of bunny rabbits, cats, and we're open seven days a week with 15 employees and about a hundred folks a week coming out. That's awesome. Things have definitely changed since when the doors yeah. opened in 2012. What other early challenges did you have? You mentioned you, you kind of had a plan, but you didn't really have a drawn out plan before you opened. <laughs> well, there was my plan and then there was what really happened. <laughs> So um, I'm really good at making plans on paper. <laughs> I'll put it that way. But reality doesn't always match what we've written down. So I think, you know, what I had planned is that it would just always remain really small. And like it never occurred to me that we would be anywhere near the size that we are. I thought if we had, you know, three or four students, two horses like that, that that would be it. So I was really overwhelmed by the number of people that wanted to get involved and I had no idea how hard it was for families that have children with disabilities, especially um, those that are low income, because that's who we set out, set out to primarily serve. You know, I had no idea the lack of resources that there are for them. And so to be able to, to meet that challenge and once you find out about it and, and you see those children and, you know, we're starting to get a waiting list and like, oh gosh, well, what am I going to do? Like, well, maybe we could open a second day and then we'll, all right, well, maybe, all right, we'll have to get another horse. Maybe we'll open a fourth day. Maybe we'll do this. And because it's really hard to, to not want to help because you see the difference that it makes in these children and, and the changes that it has in their families. And I really think had it not been for horses, I don't know that, um, that our family would have stayed together and have been able to be together because what it did for our own family was so important. So um, I guess the challenge was seeing the need and want to help it, but also maintaining the balance of what, what can we actually do without growing so large that you begin to crack or overextend yourself. So that's been a challenge. Um, another challenge that I faced was finding out that I had heart failure in 2016. You know, we started the barn in 2012, kind of officially. And then, um, you know, it was a lot of hard work. And like I said, you know, always kind of trying to grow and grow. And starting in about 2014, I would go to the doctor and say, I'm just tired. I'm not feeling well. You know, I'm really struggling. And kind of, I guess, all those things that, that you're told, um, delegate more, hire more people, do, you know, quit trying to do, quit trying to be in control, you know, all of those sorts of things, um, rest, go out with friends, just 
don't lose sight of what's important. So that went on for probably about two years where I was just um, ignored essentially by my doctor, even though I was gaining weight, couldn't breathe, had a really hard time just in lots of different ways. And finally in 2016, I was driving one day and almost had a car wreck. A, a truck almost hit me and it really kind of scared me. And so I was talking to our advisory group and, um, you know, I work full time at the barn without pay. And they said, Oh my gosh, if something happened to you, what would, how, where would we get the money to hire somebody to do what you do? And so through that decided to get a life insurance policy that would be payable to the barn. Um, if, if I had been hit by that truck, <laughs> kind of that, that proverbial, you know, get rid of by the truck. And it was in that life insurance policy that they did an EKG. The first one that I had had, even though I had had numerous doctor visits complaining of not feeling well, that they found out that I was in advanced heart failure. And that's why I was so tired. So of course, um, that was kind of a setback in, in how things worked out. And um, again, UAB stepped in and was wonderful. They had just started the um, Women's Heart Clinic. And so I was one of the first patients to be in with Dr. Salfi Pambukian, who was absolutely wonderful. And I say that she saved my life. And um, she would say, no, you're doing all the things that you should do. You save your own life. But I, I think it's because of her advice. But um, you know, that was definitely a, a setback and that was a, like a really hard one kind of at a critical time as we were growing and changing. So to kind of have to take care of that and then to find out that my heart failure was most likely due to genetics. And so thinking about, well, how does that impact our children and our family otherwise and our, you know, more extended family. So that was a, that was a pretty, that's a pretty big setback, I think. And one of the great things that happens there is bringing in all of the people, all the families that come through. Do you know how many people have been through to the barn over the nine, 10 years? Oh, thousands. Yeah. I mean, we see usually anywhere from about 75 to 100 folks a week come out. The majority of those come every single week. Um, we have a few one-time programs, but most people come every single week and it's just, it's wonderful. It, I absolutely love it. And we do everything from horseback riding lessons to equine assisted learning. We have job skills, volunteers, folks that help us put on events and just use all the skills. We love having interns, especially we have a lot of UAB interns, especially from the occupational therapy and kinesiology and um, psychology departments. So we love it. You mentioned bringing UAB students in as interns. How important is it to give back to the UAB community for what you've gone through health-wise, as well as the education they've given you? I think it's important to give back to everything. Um, I think our whole lives, that that's just what God calls us to do, is, is to give back for the blessings that we've had. And UAB has been one of the best blessings in my life. Not only did it allow me to finish the dream of being able to go to college, I would have not ever been able to do that without UAB. Um, and then I, I feel like the, the advantages that we have because UAB is right here in Birmingham is amazing. So I feel like in some ways I owe 
the good life that I have plus the life that I'm allowed to live to UAB because, you know, through my heart failure, I've joined a group called Women Heart and I've got, had the opportunity to travel around the country and, and speak to encourage women to know the facts about their own heart disease. And I go to some of these other locations and I find out that there are women that have to travel for hours to get to a hospital as good as UAB. And sometimes I think that we're spoiled to, to forget that it's just right here in our own backyard, but it is really, you know, one of the best hospitals in the United States. And I think that's easy to forget. And, you know, I've also had the opportunity to, to travel across the nation and talk about um, how to start an organization like the Red Barn, where you want to work with children that have disabilities, maybe from low-income families and have them work with horses. And, you know, I feel like we had such a benefit of being able to go to UAB and get that master's in public administration to really know what, what it takes to build a solid foundation for a nonprofit organization. And a lot of, a lot of places, particularly out in rural areas where you mainly have horses, um, they don't have those same opportunities. And I think UAB was always on the cutting edge way back, even in the eighties when they let me go get VCR tapes to be able to take my classes. But, you know, now so many of the degree programs are online. So, you know, we're able to reach people across the nation that wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity of the benefits of a UAB education. And I think that's wonderful. And I just want to, to give back, like I said, not only just UAB, but to, to the others in my life that have helped me because I've just been so lucky and so blessed and just, um, I think just want, want to know that my life made a difference in, in helping others. Joy O'Neill, founder and executive director of the Red Barn in Birmingham. She owns two UAB degrees. She got her Bachelor of Arts in History in 1990 and earned her Master of Public Administration in 2010, both from the College of Arts and Sciences. As someone who believes it's important to give back to UAB, she definitely has an idea of what it means to be a blazer. You know, and I guess the mascot of, of being a blazer, it makes me think of being a trailblazer. And when I mentioned earlier, I was that kid that, you know, sat in the library reading all the time with all the nice librarians and special shout out to all the librarians in the world because you changed lives like little geeky girls like me. Um, you know, I mentioned that I love the Little House on the Prairie books. And I think one of the things that I, I loved about those that resonated as an adventure story is, you know, they were also always moving. Laura moved around everywhere. just just the same as, as I did. Um, when Emmett and I were married, he said we could go anywhere we wanted for our honeymoon. And I said, I want to go to Dismet, South Dakota, because I want to see the Laura Ingalls Wilder <laughs> Museum. So like, I really am that geeky. And so, um, but just that idea of trailblazing, if you think about the pioneer spirit of being able to go out and go to unknown country, not being sure what they were going to do. You know, that, that sounds like an odd thing for somebody that just sits inside and reads about it. But um, I think it's one of the things I like about Star Trek so much that they're out blazing trails, going to, you know, un, uncharted planets and meeting new species and aliens and uh, all the new things, um, kind of unique views and perspectives of, of not only our world, but other worlds. Um, I, I think that that's when I set out to start the barn, that that was kind of the idea. I was doing something that was very 
unusual for me, not only personally, it, it did not necessarily fit my personality, but um, I, I felt like God had called me to do it and that if he called me to do it, that he would support me through it and and show me what to do and, and provide all the opportunities. I think about um, trying to be a, a trailblazer in that speaking about women's heart health and encouraging women to know about the, the differences between our hearts and men's hearts and to to educate our doctors to make sure to look for that first because it is the number one killer of women more than all other diseases or cancers combined. And I think that UAB really sort of set that foundation for me to think about things in an unusual way. I mean, what college back in the, the 80s was coming out with ideas of videotapes or putting things on public TV or allowing um, classes to sort of be consolidated so that you could get a whole semester's work just in three weekends a month. They had these like bunch classes that were held over in an office building at Liberty Park. I don't know if anybody you know remembers those, you know, classes at six o'clock in the morning. I, I mean, I just think it talks about doing things a little bit uniquely and differently, being able to come back, look at UAB football, look at the university and how it's risen through the, the University of Alabama college systems, you know, what it's done. I think it just sets a great example as a trailblazer. And I hope that it's kind of given me a little bit of that passion and the skills and the ability to equip me to, to continue being able to do that for the rest of my life. Be sure to listen in to previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. You can find all of them at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search UAB Alumni. Thanks for listening, and until next time, Go Blazers!